Welcome to the Mindful Life Podcast. Join me, your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator, as I navigate living my best life with the intention to educate and raise the collective consciousness around the benefits of living a mindful life. Each week via the Mindful Life Podcast, I will bring to you a range of content, including special guests that explore mindfulness, mindset, and mental health. Are you feeling tired or are you under stress? Are you overloaded or just generally feeling overwhelmed? Well, I'm really excited to share a very special stress reduction tool that I've been using and recommending to my clients for a number of years. Calm is the number one app for meditation, relaxation and sleep. With over 21 million downloads and achieving the Apple App of the Year in 2017, Calm is so perfectly aligned with all that I do as a mental health professional and all that I teach here at the Mindful Life Podcast. It is the perfect stress relief strategy and the perfect mindfulness tool. The app has so many fantastic and easy to use features, including Daily Calm, a brand new 10 minute meditation every day, 100 plus guided meditations covering anxiety, focus, gratitude, and so much more. 80 plus sleep stories to settle the mind and relax the body. Exclusive music tracks for focus, relaxation, and sleep. Calm Masterclass featuring world-renowned mindfulness experts. My personal favorites include sleep stories, and I've recently discovered Calm Music, which I have on a continuous loop at my practice, in counseling sessions, and in classes. I also love the Calm Masterclass videos, which cover some fantastic topics, including gratitude, happiness, and mindful eating. And not to mention all the great features the app now offers for kids, including sleep stories, meditations, and lullabies. I'm so very excited to be partnering with Calm to bring you, my listeners, some amazing offers. Calm is so generously offering the Mindful Life podcast listeners a free four-week subscription to the Calm Premium app. All you need to do is head to the following link, calm.com forward slash calm health trial. That's calm.com forward slash calm health trial and just follow the prompts to enjoy your free four-week trial of calm premium you'll be feeling calm relaxed and at peace in no time the mindful life podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and thanks for joining me for episode 41 of the Mindful Life podcast. It's been a long while between episodes, almost two months in fact, and wow, so, so much has changed in that time, how the world has changed It's changed so rapidly and it keeps changing. I've really been wanting to do an episode for a while, but it's felt really overwhelming. There's so much to think about and so much to say. 
I also wanted to wait until it felt right. So yes, I thought it about time that I finally weigh in on the whole COVID-19 conversation. And I want to weigh in specifically as a mental health worker. There's so much I want to say, and I'm thinking over the next few episodes, I will talk in more detail about the impacts of coronavirus. I might talk a bit more in upcoming episodes about fear, about loneliness, and about the opportunities that this virus is creating. All of these are offshoots or flow-on issues from this virus. But in today's episode, uh, I'm going to talk specifically about mental health and coronavirus. So it's not going to be a happy one. It's going to be a real one. In fact, let's call it real talk. So it's going to be predominantly about mental health and the impacts of COVID-19 on mental health. Firstly, I'll start by saying that whilst I'm a degree qualified health professional with over 25 years experience working in the human services field, what I'm not is medically trained. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a nurse. I have zero medical knowledge. And much of what I'm about to say is really just my observations and my opinions. And it's based on my knowledge and my expertise in mental health. I might throw a few stats around, stats and info that I've found online, mainly from the Department of Health website uh, in Australia. I'd encourage you to please do your own research though. So today, the day I'm recording this episode is Thursday the 9th of April 2020. The info I'm about to give is current today, but things are changing rapidly. This is a statement that I'm greeted with Whenever I open the Department of Health website, it says in inverted commas, the status of this virus is changing rapidly. Every time we turn on the TV or the radio, we hear of another change. So I'm coming to you from Australia and as of 3pm yesterday, this is where we're at. We have 6,013 confirmed cases of COVID-19 here in Australia. There have been 105 new cases in the last 24 hours. Of the 6,013 confirmed cases in Australia, 50 people have died from COVID-19. And thankfully, Australia currently does not have widespread community transmission. So here in Victoria, and I think it's the same throughout the other states in this country, we're currently living under what is known as stage three restrictions or regulations. So what does this mean? And I think this, it's pretty much like this in many countries all around the world. I have a good friend who lives in the Netherlands who says that uh, they're currently under the same restrictions. So the overriding message is to please stay at home unless you have to leave home for work or study when you can't do either of these from home, um, unless you have to leave home to shop for groceries or for medical appointments And you are permitted to leave home to exercise just in your local community with one other person who's not a family member maintaining social distancing. So as a society, we're not used to this kind of democracy. We're not accustomed to having our movements restricted. Police are reportedly pulling people over and asking them where they are going and querying if your outing is an essential activity. So all of this is, of course, putting people under immense stress. We are a community, a state, a country, and really a world under significant stress. People are in survival mode, but thankfully this has eased somewhat. 
in this country a month or so ago, we saw incredible and unbelievable scenes of extreme panic buying in supermarkets across the country. We couldn't get essential items like toilet paper, tissues, cleaning products, or food staples like rice and pasta. I even struggled to get essential sanitary products for myself and my two daughters. So why did this happen? Why were people panic buying? This behavior can happen when people feel like they have lost control. Panic buying helps them to feel safe and it helps them to feel in control. This behavior can help relieve anxiety in the short term. It's kind of like squirrels collecting nuts for the winter, except the squirrel has a rational reason to do so. There will be no nuts in the winter months. Society's panic buying as a result of the pandemic was irrational. These supermarket products were never in short supply. That is until the panic buying behaviour started. So supply would never have been affected if people had just bought what they needed at the time rather than stockpiling. And then, of course, others followed. Panic begets panic. Anxiety wasn't really relieved. People needed to keep buying stuff to soothe their panic, but then it wasn't available. So more anxiety and panic, of course, occurred. It was a really interesting situation, a cycle of sorts. But as I said, thankfully, this has eased somewhat. The, sh the shelves are now kind of, uh, I wouldn't say they're full, but they're getting some stocks back. So because of the pandemic situation, people were effectively putting themselves in fight or flight mode or survival mode. This is really exhausting. And the byproduct of this behavior, I had distressed clients fearful that they wouldn't be able to access food for their families. They uh, felt overwhelmed and helpless while shopping for meals. So in terms of people's uh, worries, what I'm seeing in my work as a result of COVID-19, are people generally worried about getting the virus? What I'm seeing is no, they're not. It's all about other stuff, all the changes that have occurred in people's lives as a result of this virus. So experts are saying that the impacts of COVID-19 to mental health will be as bad, if not worse, than the impacts of the virus itself. And I agree with this 100%. We will have a mental health crisis in this country. And I'll go so far as to say the entire world after this. A few weeks back, I actually read an article that stated that the effects of this pandemic on people's mental health will be seven times worse than the effects of living through bushfires. So this is really concerning. I personally lived through bushfires 11 years ago and the impacts were far reaching and recovery was really hard. So what are we all experiencing? So this is what I've seen. People in this country are experiencing employment loss, loss of income, loss of daily activities such as the gym, sporting club activities and other special interest uh, activities and groups, loss of contact with social networks including family and friends. And as I've highlighted, many people are not that worried about contracting the virus, particularly living here in Australia. Our country has higher testing rates than any other country in the world. In fact, more than 319,000 tests have been conducted across Australia as of 3pm yesterday. So that's reassuring for us that they're doing a lot of testing. So, you know, obviously tests are done and uh, people are cleared um, or people are um, advised that they have the virus and then they need to 
um, self-isolate. So it really, I think that reassures people that, you know, we're able to get on top of it with testing or that will at least help. Uh, and in this country and specifically in this state of Victoria, and maybe I'm speaking for myself here, we are all well looked after by both the state's premier, Dan Andrews, and I have a lot of confidence in his leadership and our Prime Minister Scott Morrison, or ScoMo, as he's commonly referred to. I feel ScoMo is doing a decent job leading our country through these incredibly difficult times. So all of this, living in this so-called lucky country of Australia, equates to many people who live here feeling fairly safe from direct harm from the virus. There are those who would like to see a full lockdown of the country, as many believe that the sooner we get on top of things, the sooner we can all go back to normal. So a full lockdown makes sense. However, ScoMo is very concerned about the effect this would have on the economy. If more people couldn't work, it would obviously affect the economy a lot more. And I can completely understand this 100%. So by the latest reports, we're doing really well to flatten the curve. Um, I think yesterday they were saying we're down to um, a 3% um, daily uh, transmission rate. So I think a couple of weeks ago we were up to increases of 25% a day. So now it's just down to 3%. So we're on our way to flattening the curve. Um, but of course we have no news on when we can resume our usual daily activities. As I said, stage three uh, restrictions are in place with no end date in sight. So this, of course, causes a lot of anxiety for people if they can't foresee into the future when this is going to end. It's a massive sacrifice for the entire population. And the fascinating thing is that really we're all making this sacrifice to protect the vulnerable. It's not necessarily to protect ourselves, because as we know, the vast majority of people who contract the virus will and do recover. And some even have extremely mild symptoms. But there is a small percentage of the population that COVID-19 kills. And the evidence tells us that this is mainly those with pre-existing underlying health conditions and, of course, the elderly. And this is what we are seeing in this country. In this country, um, of the 50 deaths, I think only one of those deaths um, was someone under 70. Um, and that person was in their 60s and they had pre-existing health conditions. So all of our deaths have been um, so far of people who are of senior age, apart from that one man in his 60s. So yes, there's cases overseas, as we all know, where seemingly healthy young people have died. However, this is rare and it's not happened in this country to date. So many of us are making the ultimate sacrifice for really an invisible illness and an illness that is not going to necessarily affect us uh, directly, if that makes sense. Yes, we see the effects of the virus on TV, but most of us have not seen it firsthand. So then I ask the question, why if people by and large are not anxious about contracting the virus, is mental health such a concern? So there's many factors. People have lost unemployment with many businesses having to shut down. And the sad reality is many of these businesses were low paying industries, industries that included pubs, bars, restaurants, retail, fitness and beauty industries. So these industries, as we all know, had to close down because of the uh, social distancing uh, rules and regulations. They were businesses that attracted crowds. Um, and as we know, 
uh, with crowds uh, that can result in higher transmission rates. So many jobs within these industries are traditionally low paid. People in these jobs usually live pay to pay. Uh, they're not financially resourced to go for extended periods without work. And many people have also lost shifts and had their work hours reduced. So of course, all of this equates to the financial, uh, significant financial impacts uh, for individuals and families. And what we know is that financial pressure, of course, causes incredible stress. And what about the impacts of people's daily activities and movements being affected? As I've already said, we're not accustomed to these kind of restrictions. Gyms are closed, sporting clubs and team sports activities are on hold and many other clubs, running clubs um, and you know, other kinds of social clubs um, and networks that people are part of are also on hold for now. So what we know about these kind of activities is they give people meaning, they give them purpose, they promote social connectedness and they contribute to not only our physical and mental health and well-being, but to our joy and our happiness. So with the self-isolation and social distancing rules, we're not permitted to catch up in groups. We can exercise with one other person who's not a family member, as long as we maintain the social distancing guidelines of 1.5 metres. But what I'm hearing from people is they're so anxious that they'll get this distancing guideline wrong and get in trouble that many aren't bothering. As we know, self-isolation is vital to flatten the curve and it's working. We do need to do it. But this is impacting mental health. Humans are pack animals. We need each other. We need others. This type of isolation can promote feelings of real isolation and loneliness. And, you know, moving on to changes that have just been made, just been announced here in Victoria yesterday. Um, there's going to be some changes to the way school will now be delivered to children, at least in this state. Um, children are now going to be learning online. So parents, particularly with younger children, will be required to homeschool their kids. This, of course, is isolating for kids and it's incredibly stressful for parents. These parents never signed on to homeschool their kids when they decided to have kids. Some people are also engaging in dysfunctional coping mechanisms to manage their stress or even just to alleviate the boredom of being stuck at home. Uh, this includes comfort eating. Yes, guilty. Um, indulging in comfort eating. And um, yeah, it's, it's out of boredom and it feels good. Um, people are increasing their device use. There's increased alcohol consumption and there's reports of self-medicating with prescription medication. So people are feeling bored. They're feeling lonely. Their mood's affected. So, you know, they're indulging in these addictions and these dysfunctional ways to cope more. And of course, we're all going stir crazy being with the same people 24-7. Yes, we love our families, but we're not accustomed to being with them 24-7. So relationships are being impacted negatively at times, which causes further stress. And then what of the pre-existing psychological stuff people live with? As a mental health worker, I'm acutely aware that it's all still there. And if anything, it will be brewing under the surface, gaining traction, almost like coronavirus or, of course, the threat of coronavirus and its impacts are the invisible fuel for mental illness. 
So by way of example, those with anxiety prior to all this are now more anxious. They now have more fuel for their worries and their anxiety is much louder. They have fewer distractions, more time to think and more reason to worry about the future. Those who are depressed prior to coronavirus are feeling more isolated and more hopeless about the future. They have less to distract them and to keep their mind occupied. And the list goes on in terms of mental health disorders. I could sit here and talk about how COVID-19 will negatively impact and exacerbate and even prolong each and every mental health condition listed in the DSM-4. But all we need to know um, is that the news isn't good uh, in terms of mental health. There's even some talk in psychotherapy in the psychotherapy world that this pandemic can trigger old trauma wounds as people have more time to think and ruminate about their their past psychological scars and I would agree with this I am seeing this with my clients as well that some of their old issues are resurfacing coupled with this we also have a trauma file and new trauma can trigger old trauma and what we're living through this is a trauma of sorts and of course this idea of stay at home Yes, it's vital, it's important, it needs to happen to save lives, to flatten the curve. But what we know about home is that it's not safe for everyone. There have been some horrendous stats come out of European countries around the rise in family violence during uh, lockdown in these countries. And here in Australia, Google has reported that searches for DV support were up by 75% for the month of March. So clearly here in Australia, people are searching um, on Google how to get support um, for living in a domestic violence situation. And look, that's encouraging to know that people are trying to seek out that support, but hopefully they're following through uh, once they get the information. And of course, with schools being closed here in my state for the next three months, uh, what about the safety of the children who live with a parent who uses violence? These kids who, you know, are usually are safe at school for, um, you know, the, the vast majority of the day are now home more, which means that they have an increased risk of harm from a violent parent. And the research also tells us that during situations like this, natural disasters and the like, the rates of domestic violence and sexual assault always increase. Gaming venues are also closed down, which means that those with gambling addiction disorder are also at risk now. Uh, and lockdown has impacted drug users' ability to move around the community uh, to get their substances. So that's impacting them as well. So the list goes on really around, um, you know, the impacts of COVID-19 on people um, and their issues. You know, as I've pointed out, people who already had mental health issues um, it's exacerbated them it's increased them it's it's made them worse and what we're seeing is people who have no history of mental health issues are now um, starting to develop um, anxiety and depression at, at the bare minimum um, for the first time in their life so yeah look it's a lot of doom and gloom um, unfortunately but look this is real talk I said at the start of this episode it would be real talk um, this is the reality and, and I'm working on the front line and this is what I'm seeing in mental health. So I'll be curious to see the stats for suicide once we are through all this. People who um, are at risk of 
suicide and self-harm, their risk is going to be exacerbated during this time. So as I've said, I'm certain there'll be a mental health crisis. I'm seeing the distress now and it doesn't take an expert to predict that it's only going to get worse. So let's put the doom and gloom aside for a moment. How can we get through this? Well, we're doing it. We're getting through it. We as a global community are living through this. All of us are a part of history. Uh, is that exciting? I'm not sure. Probably not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're part of history. We keep hearing the statement that we are all in this together and this is true. It's a really great opportunity for us to support each other, to show kindness and to show empathy towards each other. We can, as human beings, understand what our fellow man is going through. You know, this is a collective consciousness situation. I talk a lot about collective consciousness in my work and often I'm referring about, you know, the positive collective consciousness, but this is a negative collective consciousness. You know, we're all going through um, a situation that is uh, promoting fear and promoting anxiety. So the collective consciousness, unfortunately, is a society living in fear but in that we can um, support each other because we're all experiencing exactly the same um, fears and anxiety. Our issues may be different, but you know there is a level in fear and a fear and anxiety for everyone. But I think there's some things that we um, do need to do to get through this to keep our sanity intact. I'm not going to say you must do these things, but I think these three things that I point out are. Uh, in a moment, they're kind of the essentials, kind of the bare minimum that um, you know people could be doing. Maybe should should's not a great word, but um, I'd like to see people doing to get them through their day. Particularly people who don't have work to fill their day or study to fill their day, people who are feeling at a bit of a loss. These three things uh, might help you get through your day. Number one, I think the most vital thing is connection. Um, in this time um, of social isolation, we must do everything we can do, we can to stay connected to those who are important to us. So yeah, social isolation, social distancing, let's call it physical distancing and physical isolation. You know, if we take the word social away, um, you know, it's important that we're just physically distancing ourselves from people. We can still remain connected. So connection will be your saviour in this time. Use the phone, old-fashioned telephone. Uh, call someone and say hello. Use text message. Uh, FaceTime, Zoom. There's heaps of great apps out there where we can connect um, using video conferencing. So use them. And if you don't know how to use video calling, video conferencing, Google it and teach others around you how to use it. I've seen some great scenes on social media of uh, people's grandparents learning how to use uh, FaceTime for the first time. And, and we've been regularly calling, um, you know, my in-laws, my, my daughter's uh, grandparents up by FaceTime and it's just wonderful to see their faces. So seeing the face of a loved one promotes connection. I read an article saying that um, there was an experiment that was done on people who were experiencing physical pain. And when the researchers showed them their loved one's faces, either on a screen or in a picture, it reduced their physical pain. So the article went on to say this can work for our mental health too. It can work for our psychological pain and torment. 
when we see a loved one, our brain produces oxytocin, which is a natural pain reliever, and it's a feel-good chemical. So it makes sense that when we we FaceTime, when we see our loved one on a screen, it's going to feel good. We're going to feel connected. So keep those connections happening uh, as much as possible. Number two, avoid the media as much as you can. I think it's important to keep up to date with changes that are happening. As I said, this situation is changing rapidly and we do need to keep on top of um, you know, what we need to be doing, where we need to be. But just be aware that the media generally only gives us the bad news. Bad news is what sells. No one's interested in good news. Um, the media is current, currently reporting the worst of the virus. So we don't often hear about the recovered cases. So did you know that 300,000 people have recovered from the virus? Over 300,000, in fact. That's something that's not reported very often. So limit how much media you are letting in. I foolishly watched a program right before bed a week or so ago. This program was talking about Italy and the US and the situation that they were in, all the deaths um, and you know all the obstacles and challenges that they were facing in treating people with um, COVID-19. So this interview was very sensationalised and it really frightened me. I went to bed that night and I actually had a lot of trouble sleeping um, you know, catastrophizing and thinking up all sorts of scenarios in my mind. So it was a good lesson for me to take stock of and just to, to um, yeah, really take on this idea that I only need to be looking at what's happening in my country um, because that's what affects me. If you want to watch something, just, I think, stick to um, the stats and stick to your own country's news. And I try and just stick to the Premier and the Prime Minister's press releases. And also, part of this is limiting your social media exposure. There's so much toxicity on social media, and in particular on Facebook at present. I know there's a lot of good as well. There's some great groups that are popping up on Facebook where people can um, access support and support each other. But people are frustrated. They're bored they are strug they are struggling so people are projecting a lot of this in their commenting and uh, there's quite a few judgments on facebook as well so just yeah being mindful of how much you are um, exposing yourself to how much you're letting into that subconscious mind because we i think we our anxiety is high enough without feeding it with so much media and number three movement and preferably movement outside so I think movement is really important and you don't have to be doing gym workouts you can I'm doing my gym workouts via zoom um, my, my local gym is um, putting all the the workouts and classes um, on zoom so I'm doing my classes just two or three times a week as normal but all you need to be doing is, is going for a walk, 20 minutes a day. And if you can get outside in the light, in the sun, if there's some sun, in the fresh air, connecting with nature, um, all the better. This will help your mental health. And it'll help the boredom as well, help pass the time as well. So when I go out for my daily walk, I've been seeing more people than ever running, walking or cycling, either alone or with their kids. So it's really wonderful to see so many people using this time as an opportunity to connect with nature. Nature has so much to teach us at this time about letting go and about impermanence. And I'll talk more about that in upcoming episodes. So movement. So get out, move your body, 
um, you know, for 20 minutes a day. A simple walk is all that's needed. And please be kind to yourself. I'd love for people to be able to manage the three essentials I just mentioned. Um, connecting with others, limiting media exposure and moving every day. But I know for some it will just be about getting through the day and that may be all they can do, just get through the day however they can. Maybe it's just about doing the things that bring you joy and help you to feel calm. So I think that's pretty simple. Uh, try and stay calm as much as you can. Do things that keep you calm and do things that make you happy. Um, and do the things that nurture you. Self-care is so important during this time. And for some, crisis can create opportunity. Um, and this is something that I'll cover um, in upcoming episodes. I understand it can be hard to find the silver lining in all of this, but for some, um, you know, some people may start to think outside the box, particularly in regards to their work, and this can create new and exciting opportunities. So when you look back, what will you say you did with the time? If this was a time for you to just get through, then so be it. If this was a time that became full of opportunities for you, then so be it. You do you. Don't be pressured. Don't compare yourself to others. Some days you may feel motivated, other days not so much. Whatever you are feeling is okay. Don't pressure yourself. There's so many memes um, on social media and quite a few of them are funny. I like a lot of the memes um, that sort of relate to this, this time of change in our life. But, you know, there's memes that say things like, if you don't have abs after this, your past excuse of not having enough time is BS. So, you know, I guess that what that is sort of saying is you've got all the time in the world now to build those abs, um, you know, do it. I don't think this kind of thing is helpful. If you want to build abs, build abs. But if you don't, don't feel pressured to. You do you. If you want to spend your time getting fit and strong, do it. If you don't, don't. If you want to write a book, do it. And if you don't, don't. If you want to be creative, be creative. If you want to do nothing, do nothing. But the important thing I'll say here and the important thing to note is look at how whatever you are doing is making you feel. So if doing something creative is making you feel good, fantastic. If doing nothing is making you feel good, fantastic. If you are getting fit and strong and that is that helping you or is that hindering you? Is doing nothing helping you to feel better? That would be the question I would get you to ask yourself. How you're spending your day, is that helping you or is that hindering you? The way you spend your time is, of course, your choice. I think many are just enjoying this as a time to slow down and to watch the clock less, to spend more time with family and to just be. There is no right or wrong way to be during this time as long as what you are doing makes you feel good. Thanks for stopping by to listen to today's episode on my take of how the coronavirus pandemic is impacting mental health. It's such a crazy and surreal time we're living in. I can't help but wonder if there's a lesson in all of this. 
and I guess that's a that's something I'll cover in our upcoming podcast. Please know if you are struggling with any aspect of this pandemic situation, you're not alone. Everyone is struggling in some way, shape or form. This truly is a life-changing event. So if you do need support, please reach out. I'm now offering telehealth counselling sessions, which means I can provide sessions to you wherever you are in Australia. And I'm also providing walk and talk sessions, uh, of course, um, implementing the social distancing guidelines. And I've listed uh, all the telephone support numbers in the show notes. So if you're struggling with your mental health, if you're feeling unsafe at home, if you're struggling with addiction issues, or if you're just generally feeling stressed, please reach out and access one of the telephone support numbers. If you have learnt something today or found it helpful, please feel free to share this episode. You never know, it just might help or even enlighten someone else. And if you are listening via a podcast that allows you to leave a review, please consider leaving a few kind, encouraging words and hitting those stars. And until next time, may you have peace in your thoughts and your hearts and share it with others. If for any reason you have found the content of today's podcast triggering or distressing in any way, please consider accessing some professional support. Australian mental health telephone support numbers are listed in the show notes. Did you know I recently started a new podcast, Kids Mindfulness Meditations, a podcast for kids. It's helping so many kids to find their calm and to relax. It's free and it's available via Spotify. Welcome to Kids Mindfulness Meditations, a podcast for kids. My name is Marianne Eve. I'm a mental health social worker and I have a special interest in mindfulness. I run a multi-award nominated kids mindfulness group program where I teach children how to self-soothe and self-manage stress via mindfulness education and meditation practice. This podcast is especially for kids, for kids who may be stressed, anxious, highly emotional or kids who are overthinkers or have trouble sleeping. Each episode will be a single recorded downloadable meditation for children aged 5 to 13 years. There will be meditations for sleep and meditations for relaxation. The aim of my podcast is to give children a free, easy to use, therapeutic tool to assist them to relax and to find their calm. been listening to the mindful life podcast with your host marianne eve mental health social worker and mindfulness educator if you'd like further information or you'd like to connect feel free to make contact via facebook or instagram under the handle mindful life podcast or via email mindfullifepodcast at gmail.com